This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 3. This is Writing Excuses. What do writers get wrong? Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And this is going to take all year. Because <laughs> we get so much wrong. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Elliot. I'm Howard. Yes, we have Elliot Debodard with us. She is uh, one of our co-hosts for 2018. We're very excited to have her. Can you introduce yourself a little bit for us? Uh, yes, I'm Elliot Debodard. When I don't write, I work as a systems engineer. I design basically large train systems, which always makes my sons very happy. So I'm also a mother of two very young children. And I write a fantasy and science fiction heavily inspired by history. Fantastic. And we are uh, excited to have you on, especially for this topic. A lot of uh, the episodes that we'll be doing with Elliot are a new cool thing that we are planning for 2018. So what we've been doing is through most of the life of writing excuses, we focused on the process of writing. And these episodes, in contrast to what we usually do, um, most of our episodes are involving us telling the way to write instead of showing it. So it's inevitable, I mean, really, with this kind of instruction. And we've been searching for ways to provide you with more practical knowledge. So this year, while focusing on how to write character, we thought we'd invite on people with individual expertise or life experience with something that's often represented wrong in media. We're calling it What Do Writers Get Wrong? And hope to have an episode a month on the topic. We hope this, instead of being a bunch of people talking about how you should write, will give you a resource you can use in your writing however you see fit. So Aliette is going to be with us for most of these episodes, and we thought that just to give you a kind of an idea of what it looks like, that we would use Aliette as kind of a useful representative example. And one of the things about uh, about these episodes is that they are necessarily going to reduce people to a single facet. And we want to remind you that people are not single facet entities. So, for instance, if we're doing a what do people get what do writers get wrong about um, about Aliette's life experience, we could pick um, French culture, Vietnamese culture. Software engineering, that's always fun. Pregnancy and motherhood. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, raising children in general. Um, Or even the combination of Vietnamese and French culture. Moving from one to the other and what's the point? Yeah, or Vietnamese-French diaspora. Yeah. So there's a ton of things that we could cover. So for this episode, and and just as a reminder, that any time we're doing one of these episodes with a guest, we are going to pick one aspect to focus on, to give a little bit so we can go deep into that rather than broad into. So with Aliette, for this episode as our first one, as an example episode, what are we going to focus on with you, Aliette? What do writers get wrong about? Mm, Pregnancy and motherhood. Pregnancy and motherhood. Nice. I uh, have never personally been a mother. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure but my wife you know someone who's had, had six that kids, experience. So <laughs> I can talk to some extent about this. I have no children. Um, so all but you of, do have nieces and nephews. I do have nieces and nephews, <laughs> and I was I was there for uh, for the birth of my niece. Um, so I'm I'm a great example of someone who had to research heavily in order to write about pregnancy. And 
And then there's I've, Howard. I've, <laughs> I've never been pregnant, but I've been present for the birth of for the all four of my kids. Of your and spawn. yeah, and it, the one thing that I the one thing that I learned is that the experiences that Sandra and I had with the previous pregnancy do not necessarily dictate the experiences we're going to have this time. Yeah. Not always the same thing. So, listeners, this is what you're going to get a lot, of, which is that we'll have one expert in the room <laughs> and then three cabbage heads. So, Elliot, uh, what is it that people get wrong about pregnancy and motherhood that particularly drives you crazy? I love the idea that two pregnancies make people experts. <laughs> well, and, and this is also another excellent point that... That when we get someone on, they are one aspect of this experience. Yes. And I think pregnancy and motherhood is a perfect example of how your experience is there's no matter what we say, there's going to be somebody out there who disagrees with every single aspect of it because Mm. their personal experience was different. Right. I think one of the things that's mostly struck me, um, I was on a panel on motherhood in, I think, I, call, I think it was, preg- no, it was motherhood in science fiction. I think it was about four years back at EasterCon. And I asked, so can anybody give me examples of mothers in science fiction? And they exist, but we had to look really hard. Uh, like Cordelia was the main one that people were thinking of. But a lot of them tended to actually either be dead or completely absent from the narration, or there was some kind of like, you know, head of Zeus thing going on where the main character <laughs> didn't actually have any parents. And so it really struck me that, you know, people getting pregnant and people having children in particular uh, wasn't something that was very often depicted in fiction, even in, well, especially in science fiction and fantasy, actually, even in the background. I also remember reading uh, Scott Lynch's uh, It's Red Seas and the Red Skies, mm-hmm. I think. And he has the pirate um, the pirate captain that has the two toddlers in her cabin. And the toddlers are wonderful. And I was like, this was kind of a brush of fresh air moment when I was like, hang on. The main reason I'm feeling, I mean, it's obviously a wonderful book and it has, but the main reason I'm feeling so happy about this scene is because we see so few of them. Mm-hmm. And as a mother, I'm like, I see mine all the time and other people see mine all the time. I mean, it's not like we, sh- I mean, we've tried shutting them in the room. It just <laughs> does not work. They get out little scabs. Your so, reaction is a little bit like uh, Diana's reaction in the Wonder Woman movie when she's on the streets of London and sees a baby. <gasps> a baby! <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Was, or my reaction when I, I saw Wonder Woman, which is not, it, it was... Um, it's like, okay, this this is a, a competent superhero film, but I am having a disproportionate emotional reaction because I have never seen myself represented in a fight scene where I am not the sidekick, where I am not. And and I can imagine. Yeah, the, the, that was very much it. I mean, I had the same experience with Andrew Norton, but like more in relation with like Asian identity. Oh, yeah. And, um, the fact that I'd, I'd never seen that in fiction and I sort of imprinted on the character, who isn't even Asian. She just happened to have black hair and come from outside in this mysterious world. So I was like, she has to be Asian. She totally has to be Asian. Don't <laughs> let anybody tell me otherwise. I don't want to know. <laughs> so so let's, uh, let's pick some things. So first of all, one of the things is that... Uh, that one of the things you have to deal with as a, a mother and, and pregnancy is just erasure. Um, so this is this is an important thing. <laughs> what does media get wrong when presenting uh, motherhood? Like, um, like the, the, I feel like um, 
okay, well, well you have... Um, Okay, with pregnancies, what I've noticed is they tend to be the very high-stake, immediately mortal ones. Um, the one, actually, my thinking of how pregnancies get represented in science fiction is actually alien. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is like, you know, every pregnancy is secretly about some kind of monster taking over your body and coming mm-hmm. out uh, with teeth. Uh, yeah. And sometimes you get and a feeling... And as allegories go. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel it's a pretty good... A summary of like I, at least again you know this is all my personal experience uh, reading um, I kind of feel like um, pregnancies are like very dangerous potentially for some people and that that you know you, we still have maternal mortality and that's the thing and I don't want to erase that either but also for a lot of people pregnancies are not that they're like a medical condition that gets managed and then you have a child and that doesn't mean that the birth is like pleasant uh, most people's <laughs> life experience at that point are probably not very pleasant. Uh, but um, it's also something that happens and is going to happen in your life, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a sort of like, it either gets imbued with a sort of very monstrous kind of like going to give birth to a monster or the opposite, which is because we have the the Messiah and the holy birth. There's a sort of very, the mother gets put on a pedestal where they can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. And as a mother, I get this perception. I'm like, okay, sometimes we screw up and sometimes we don't. And a lot of motherhood is wondering if we're doing the right thing or not. Uh, which I kind, I kind of feel everything gets sort of flattened mm-hmm. in media a lot when it is depicted. Hey, <laughs> I, I have a question I'm very excited to ask you, but... At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We need to pause for our book of the week first. So tell us. Uh, I have been told apparently that I can't get out of presenting my own books here. <laughs> nope, uh, um, so um, my most recent series is Dominion of the Fallen, which is comprised of two books, House of Shattered Wings and House of Binding Thorns. They're published by uh, Ace in the US and Golance in the UK and most of the rest of the world. And they're set in... They're saying a sort of in an alternate 19th century Paris where a magical war between different magical factions basically devastated the city. And a couple of decades on, people are still trying to survive in the streets while these factions are essentially in the Cold War state. They're like, we don't really want to blow up the city again. However, if you really think that we're going to pause the whole power struggle thing, I've got something to sell you. So they're kind of like very gothic, very flowery books. I drew a lot of like 19th century French classics that I love 
like uh, Count of Monte Cristo for that. And I also drew on uh, manga and anime, like Full Metal Alchemist and Black Butler and a lot of like over-the-top 19th century things that I really dig. They are fantastic books. I'm just going to uh, to give her a break from having to pitch herself and say, I blurbed the first book. Um, I have the second book queued up and I'm eagerly waiting for time to read it, <laughs> which is... <laughs> Which is always in short, in short supply. supply. Tell us again the titles of those two. Um, the House of Shattered Wings and The House of Binding Thorns. Awesome. Cool. Okay, so here's my question. Um, as you're talking about pregnancy, and you know, you even just now um, said something about pregnancy and then kind of rolled your eyes and said, oh, it's this onerous thing. And, uh, you know, I know, like I said, my wife has had six kids. There are aspects of pregnancy that she hates and that she dreads every time. There's also aspects of it that she genuinely loves. What do you love about pregnancy? Um, I really, I actually really love when the baby moves inside of you. I'm like, you can feel like the little, like the start of, for me, at least I am ready, they started off as those little bubbles, like I had fish inside of me. So there was this sort of thing mm-hmm. happening with like, you know, mouth opening. And then this, it sort of progresses as they get bigger and bigger. And I remember when I was pregnant the first time, um, my husband was like, uh, I can't remember why, but he put his hand on my belly and like the baby kicked his hand. And oh. we were both like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that was the best thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of, one of the things that my wife says as an example is uh, that she can tell, and, and again, this is one woman's experience, she can tell personality even before they're born. She has a sense. Is is that something that you? No, know? no, I didn't get that. I get I, like right after they're born, though. Like for the first few days, it was like they're definitely not the same kind of baby personality was. Mm-hmm. Like I could see. Yeah. But no, I, I don't know because I've only had two, so I really. But I mean, there's always you know because every pregnancy is different. Is how much mm-hmm. of that is down to like the mechanics of the pregnancy, and how much of the difference is down to babies being different? Yeah. But, but, you know, like, even like you said, just those first few days, you can tell that this is not the same kid as, as my first kid and getting to know them and, and getting to meet this new person, even, you know, in the first day of their life is really amazing. Mm. Yeah. The other thing that was really amazing is like when my first was born, um, like he was all blue and limp because like he couldn't take his first breath. And so they handed me this like thing and I was like, uh, no, and then, you know, she did something. I presume that she helped him draw the air in. And then all of a sudden I was like, wow, this is a baby. <laughs> oh. mm-hmm. then, you know, like the air flows and then you could see like it became like it, it was like inflating a balloon, really. And that, like this is making it sound not as awesome as it really was. <laughs> but it really felt fabulous in the sense that I could really see like this is this is him coming to life, really. And like taking his first breath. So this this makes me then also wonder because that that is a detail that would never occur to me to put into into a novel. Uh, one of the details that I put in that that a friend told me about that I would never have thought of putting in uh, was she said that after after her son was born, the first time she stood up because your organs have all been pushed out of the way, the first time she stood up, she felt them all shift back into place. Which, <laughs> And I was like, 
That is so gross and so really cool. <laughs> so are there other little things that you can think of that make you, like when you see it sometimes, you're like, ah, that person, that person has personal experience with pregnancy mm. or they did their research. I I mean, uh, I... Sorry. I was going to say, I've... I've got a pretty, I've got a pretty good one from our our second, uh, our our second child. I'm Sam. sorry, Howard. Are you talking over the resident expert? Um, I'm I'm about oh, to, but snap. you'll see why. This is this is so <laughs> hilarious. The nurse came in so he's and being asked, rude, but it's worth it. The nurse came in and asked everybody to leave because she needed to do a thing, and my brother Randy was in there and said, what, "What's this?" She goes, Oh, this is the part where she pushes on Sandra's tummy and all the extra stuff comes out. And Randy laughs and the nurse looks at him and Randy's like, oh my God, that's a real thing? And (laughs) fled the room. (laughs) And I mean, the first time I'd saw it, that was was my first impression. I had no idea. You know, like the organs shifting and wow. Yeah. Mm, In the hospital, they told us that for C-sections and stuff that didn't want the fathers inside the room because they had to pick up too many of them for the floor. <laughs> they were like, you can't insist. We highly would like you to consider not because you're just too squeamish. Yep. But um. I think, I mean, a lot of details like, um, like, for instance, I was watching, we were watching Breaking Bad very shortly after uh, I was delivered. And it's the kind of thing that, that did not actually get right because it's very hard to get right is she got up from the sofa and I was like, this is not a pregnant woman getting up from the sofa. Mm-hmm. Because this is a sort of like your entire sense of balance has shifted because, you know, actually what she had was, you know, just a, a fat belly, right? Yeah. And in reality, you have the weight of the baby that's here and they're kicking. So you sort of do this sort of like very cautious, okay, Let's just pull up very cautiously and be very careful that I don't tip over. And then you do this sort of waddle of like, especially if like it's very advanced in the pregnancy where I felt was like, you know, well, there was the head pushing in all the time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, very carefully now or something. Or uh, one of the other things was like, you know, um, all the little problems that you can have during pregnancy that are like... A lot of times, like, the pregnancy seems either very smooth or catastrophic, but there's a, there's a lot of little problems that you can have. I mean, I had cramps because I wasn't getting enough vitamins, so I had to eat lots of offal. Mm. And mm-hmm. all this stuff makes me feel, okay, this is someone who's either, like, you know, either had a good experience or he's faking it really well, and all of this really makes me happy when I see it because it's like, okay, this feels yeah. real. I, I love seeing in a movie or a TV show a labor that takes more than five minutes, you know? Although one of my cousins had a one hour from uh, from water breaking to baby in arms. We Dawn and I have done that as well. But, you know, we've also done the 36-hour the thing. Mm, especially when it's your first, generally yes. speaking. I re- Being I re- sent home from the hospital because you're not dilated far enough. Yes. Oh, come back in a few hours. But she's having contract contractions. Listen to that noise she's making. Yes, yes, yes. Honey, they all make that noise. Come back in a couple of hours. Yeah, generally they just start screaming. They go to hospital and it's all fine. In reality, they're like, you'll have been yeah. through me for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote a birth scene in the House of Binding Thorns and it, it took hours basically because it was a first birth. So yeah. was, And there were complications. The baby wouldn't come down. So I was like, okay. And then I needed to put in complications. And there was 19th century... Uh, levels of medicine and technology so i was like let's get a research book and i was like 
Actually, it's really hard to find a complication that would not end with the death of the mother, the death of the child, or the death of both. Because one of the things that I had established in the series was there was no healing magic. So I could just have someone waltz in and say, we'll heal everyone. Uh-huh. I was like, I would really like to have two living people at the end of this process. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the 19th century. And I, so with... Uh, with the, yeah, reg- with, the glamorous the histories. Yes. So the 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 I was reading 18th century medical textbooks. Those <coughs> about pregnancy. Those are terrifying. Like if I were yeah. not going to have a child already, like if we had already not made that choice. Wow. No. No. Not. Uh. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I read lots of papers on. I think it was a. What was it? Oh, a postpartum hemorrhage. So I ended up yeah. reading a couple of medical mm. texts of like. So what technology would they have? Oh, basically crossing fingers. And, <laughs> and, you know, and the, the one I loved was packing the womb with moss. Oh, oh that's my. gross. Okay. That's a wonderful note to end this episode on. So thank you very much. You've seen, this is a great example of what we're going to be doing all year. We'll take one thing. Packing the wound with moss. Packing the womb with moss. (laughs) This is going to be the tagline for the entire run. And uh, spoiler warning, time for your homework. No. Um, Okay, so. (laughs) Who has homework for us? I've I've got this. I've got this. Um, In anticipation of the year to come, uh, what I'd like you to do is sit down with a piece of paper and identify, make a list of the subject matter experts in your life. Maybe this person is an auto mechanic. Maybe they are a rocket scientist. Maybe they are a school teacher. Maybe they are a physician. I don't know what they do, but they have expertise in a thing. And as you are making this list, Uh, Don't make it by topic. Make the list by thinking of a person you know and then asking yourself, what is it that they are an expert in? Make the list as long as you can. And then during the course of this year, keep that list handy. During the course of this year, check off those folks as you've taken the opportunity to go talk to them about the thing about which they are a subject matter expert. This is not going to make you an expert, but over the course of the year, it's going to open your mind to all of the things that you don't know that you may want to. I think that's fantastic. And I want to uh, encourage you as you're making that list, don't just think about professions. Don't just think about, uh, you know, those kind of experiences. Look at people from different backgrounds, people with different gender identities, uh, people from different cultures. Yep. Um, you know, there, there's a, a very broad spectrum of stuff about which we can learn this year. So, uh, fantastic. This has been Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go interview all your friends. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. 
They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.